One of the reasons why we're really excited about using diet to modify the microbiome is because it's something that patients can control. In the context of a cancer treatment that is this hugely disempowering uh, life event, it's something that you know patients can every day do to help their microbiome be in the right state, to help themselves have the best chance of responding. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Wartenberg, and today's topic is microbiomes and how they could be another step forward in improving the outcome of cancer patients. It's a fascinating, fairly new topic, and our guest is Dan Spackowitz, a James researcher, assistant professor in the Division of Medical Oncology, and a microbiome expert. Welcome, Dan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, let's start with the very basics. What are microbiomes? I know that's something that is inside the gut of every one of us. What are they and why are they important? Sure, yeah. So, the microbiome is the collection of organisms that live on you and in you. There are roughly 10 trillion bacterial cells that are inside your gut alone, and that for point of reference is about the same number of human cells that you have on you. So uh, you should really, we should all be thinking of ourselves as a holobiont, which is this idea that uh, you're not just you, you are an ecosystem and there are a bunch of organisms living on you. There's some living in you. They affect things like your behavior maybe, but also your health, especially. And, and especially now we're learning how you respond to cancer treatment. So wait, when you say human and non-human, these bacteria that are in us, these trillions of cells, these are not produced by our body. These invade our body and settle in our body? Yeah, that's right. So it's, uh, it's bacteria. It's also fungi. It's viruses. It's uh, archaea. And uh, in some cases, other bigger eukaryotes like various parasites and things, although it's a little bit less common in the U.S. now. But... Uh, yeah, so it's a bunch of different organisms. They, they come from all sorts of different places, like all the foods you eat. They come from our environment. They're initially seeded, we think, even as early as when you pass out of the birth canal and uh, when you're born, and then are directed by things like breast milk. So uh, there are this critical aspect of our upbringing and our development and our health and they are one of these environmental indicators. You know, they're, they're, they're totally taken from. Wow. So I never realized that there's all these organisms inside of me that aren't not native to me. So I weigh roughly 170 pounds. How much of that weight is microbiomes? Yeah, it's only a couple pounds. But okay. uh, that makes me feel it, a little yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. By weight, they're not that impressive. But uh, by number of cells, it's about equivalent to human cells. But then the, the way it really starts to get more interesting is if you think of it in terms of genetic potential. So, you know, you have something like 20,000-ish genes, uh, but the number of genes that the microbes have is probably on the order of a few million because not only do, does each microbe have some genes, but there's a whole lot of diversity of different microbes. So they can do way, way more things than humans can in terms of like producing different vitamin cofactors or breaking down different 
carbohydrates and other stuff like that. So they're genetically very diverse. So they're not necessarily bad and you need them to survive. Absolutely. Although uh, some are. (laughs) (laughs) You need a diversity of microbes in order to have a healthy immune system, in order to not have some uh, autoimmune diseases like asthma and things like that. So uh, it seems to be that they are uh, a lot of good microbes and you need, need not only a few good ones, it seems like you need a lot of different ones. And that brings us to cancer treatment. So if, if from what you've told me before, if I understand correctly, the microbes in your body can uh, help or hurt or be benign in terms of cancer treatment and immunotherapy. So what's sort of that cancer microbiome connection? Yeah. If you are going to have somebody, somebody walks into the James Cancer Center, they get a new cancer diagnosis, their treatment is going to be this new class of drugs called immunotherapy. Sometimes Not everyone, but many people, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's not everybody. And it's particularly for metastatic disease right now. Um, and it's, it's becoming more common even in early stage treatment. But it, the idea is there's a bunch of these drugs that harness the body's immune system to fight off the cancer. The interesting link with the microbiome is that uh, if you have somebody with lung cancer or melanoma and they're about to receive treatment, you can tell before they start whether or not they're likely to respond to their treatment, which is to say to have their tumor shrink, by their poop. You can collect a stool sample before treatment, analyze which microbes are there, and be able to predict whether or not they're going to respond. And that, I think, is just fundamentally crazy (laughs) in a a really interesting way. So you collect someone's poop, analyze it, what are you looking for and what are the microbiomes that are indicate they'll have a better chance for the treatment to work? Yeah, yeah. So so when I say we can predict it, it's it's using that information. So let's say I do this microbiome experiment, I measure your poop. I'm going to get from that essentially a, a cast of characters. I'm going to say you have 20 Acromantia mucinophilia, and you have 100 Bacteroides fragilis, and you have 200 Clostridium difficile, or whatever it happens to be. And based on the type of organisms and their quantities, we can predict whether or not you're going to respond you know, with some with some error. But but yeah, that's the that's the idea. And then now the challenge is which of those bacteria are the most important. And then further, of course, is how can we get those good bacteria to be there for everybody? All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you're going to talk about how you can change someone's microbiome uh, panel and hopefully make them do better in treatment. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. 
We're back with Dan Spakowitz, and we're talking about microbiomes and how they could be a, another big step forward in improving the outcome and making immunotherapy more effective. So, Dan, in the first half of the podcast, you really gave us a lot of the great background, but now... What is the challenge? What are the sort of the steps you're taking to go from identifying what's a good microbiome uh, system in someone's body that's going to be effective and helpful and work well with immunotherapy and creating that in someone who doesn't have that good gut garden? Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge challenge and definitely something we're going after as fast as we can. Uh, the first thing I'll say is it's probably going to be hard. <laughs> so everybody has a different microbiome. And those differences are meaningful in, in ways that include how your microbiome responds to things. So there have been some studies that have looked at uh, giving people a dietary intervention, for example, and asking, how does the microbiome change when everybody eats a piece of toast or eats something else? And it turns out where you start really affects where you go. So if you have a different microbiome, then you will respond to those same dietary inputs in different ways. So we really think about this as a personalized sort of intervention where we're going to need to measure somebody's microbiome and then decide based on that person's set of microbes, what, what we need to do. But there's a couple things we're, we're trying so far. One of our clinical trials is called the Be Well Study. It's actively accruing right now. It's open at the James. We're giving people this, uh, this black raspberry nectar. So the idea is uh, black raspberries are, have this really high density of these polyphenols that we think are going to enrich for this one organism called Acromantia mucinophila. And that's a organism that has been shown to uh, change people's or a ch a rather change a in preclinical models, change response to immunotherapy. So I haven't gone through too much of the data yet. Uh, one of the questions we often get is, you know, whether or not the microbiome is causally related to changing response to immunotherapy. You know, we can tell we can tell before people start whether or not they're going to respond. But does that mean it has any effect? Is it correlation or causation? And there are some experiments in preclinical models to show there is a causal role. So you can increase the abundance of particular organisms, and those preclinical models will start to respond to immunotherapy better. So you can also take poop from a person and put it into preclinical models, and show that just by transferring that poop, you can transfer, transfer the response to treatment. So non-responders will lead to non-response in these preclinical models and, and vice versa with, with response. So, so there is a causal role that's going on and we want to increase the abundance of this one organism that has shown to have a causal role. Say, say the name of that organism again. Acromantia mucinophila. So acromantia has been associated with a bunch of different diseases. It's just really interesting phenomenon, including things like obesity and metabolic disorders of various types, where it's generally associated with health. Um, and it's, its name really means it's, it's a, it degrades mucin. It's, it's one of these taxa that show up sort of on the gut lining. It's within this mucus layer. It's probably communicating quite closely with the cells that are just beyond the gut barrier. And it, uh, if you take 
some of this organism and you you add it to an, a preclinical model in a way that uh, just increases its abundance, then that model will start to respond to, to treatment. And so our study, this dietary intervention study, is giving a, a bunch of a molecule that we think it's going to like and it's going to start to make more of this organism. And that, in this case, is this black raspberry nectar. So, so we have this... Sorry, so there's ahead. two ways to do this, to increase that very complicated word to say, the black raspberry <laughs> syrup and literally a, a poop uh, transfer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I might even add it into that, the idea of just giving the organism directly. So that's, oh, okay. that's the, the idea. Not, that, you're not injecting poop into someone. You're, direct, you're isolating the organism and then putting it in there. In, into a Actually, well, both both oh, are both. tested. Okay. Yeah, so there, let's let's call it three different categories. One of them is fecal microbiota transplant. Sometimes people do this when uh, have a really bad infection of this one organism, C. diff, Clostridium difficile, um, and that's shown to be effective in some cases, um, but it has it has a few challenges. But that that idea is you you just take a healthy donor stool. And you try to repopulate, as it's sometimes called, a person's gut. And there are something like, I don't know, 12 different clinical trials going on right now trying to give this FMT to people who are uh, receiving cancer treatment to, to try to make them respond to treatment better. And so that's one strategy. Um, I might, I, I'd be happy to say why we're going for the diet-based intervention, uh, but maybe I'll start with all the positives and then we can go to some of the challenges with, with each of them. Uh, there's a diet-based treatment, which is what we're pursuing, and that you know, gives people a certain set of molecules that we think are going to enrich for the right types of organisms. Sometimes that's referred to as prebiotics, just to throw some more jargon in. Prebiotics means you give non-biological material, so like a carbohydrate or you know, some sort of dietary input that directs the right microbes to start growing. That's what breast milk is doing in that context with that microbial-associated carbohydrate. That's a prebiotic. It's like a starter so, kit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You want to give the right, the right set of conditions for, for the right organisms to grow. Then the last is this probiotics, which in, means you're actually giving a live organism. So Let's imagine you had a yogurt that instead of having a ton of lactobacillus had a bunch of acromantia. You could imagine you know, just dosing acromantia until a person could respond. And that has shown some promise, at least in the context of some of these uh, preclinical models, as I was mentioning before. But, but that, there's a few challenges with non-dietary. Well, there's, there's challenges with all of them. Um, and so maybe I'll just walk through each of them. The problem with FMTs is... That's the fecal that, transfer. That's right, yeah, fecal microbiota transplant. The problem with there is we're not totally sure what safe means. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, we can take somebody who's healthy, we can take their stool and uh, check it to make sure it doesn't have any really bad pathogens before we give it to somebody. But I mentioned everybody's different, and that includes what they're able to respond to. So there, there is a tragic case of someone receiving an FMT and dying. Uh, this is quite rare, but I, it's just sort of an imperfect system. So FDA released a, 
a, uh, a sort of a caution to all clinical trials that we're doing this because we, we're just not totally sure yet what's what's a really safe donor stool. But I think that holds a lot of promise. The really good benefit to that is you could change some of these microbiome, which in the context of cancer treatment is something that we're really really thinking about. Yeah, you want to change it quickly because you want to start the, can't, the immunotherapy like tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we don't want to wait, you know, six months for their diet to right. eventually change their microbiome. Um, but just going on to diet there, the, I think the challenge is it might not be fast enough, but it is probably going to be a, a part of whatever system we wind up using. Um, but it might also be the whole thing. So in the context of this little, this be well study, we think if you just take somebody who isn't eating a lot of berries and you start uh, adding in this berry nectar, that could just increase the abundance of this acromantia. And then, and then you start a, say, maybe a holistic dietary change to maintain that right uh, level of those different taxa. This, this is the idea of sort of tending the microbial garden, as you were mentioning before, where you, we should really be thinking about this not as a, uh, another drug that you're taking, but really uh, sort of like your general health. It's something you need to cultivate over time. And uh, to continue with that garden analogy, maybe those microbes are particular plants you're trying to have thrive in your gut and, and grow. And in order to do that, you have to give them enough you know, soil, which maybe in this case is the right diets and the right dietary inputs. And maybe you need to give them the right uh, sunlight and maybe that's enough exercise, which has also been shown to affect microbiome, and, you know, enough sleep and all these sort of things. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the water. I don't know. But uh, those are all things we're trying to work out exactly how to dose each of those components to make somebody have the best chance of responding to cancer treatment. And uh, it's, it's pretty tricky. But, but like I mentioned, the, the timing is a major problem of it. So can, can we do it? Can we do it fast enough to make people start to have a, a meaningful change? And then can we maintain the right set of organisms for long-term durable responses, uh, maybe even prevention? I think this is going to wind up being, having a big role. Um, and so, so all those things are really interesting. I wouldn't be surprised that there, if these, all of these different strategies wind up coming together in some way. So uh, I want to talk uh, just for a second about that probiotics thing and then, and then maybe mention how they might all work together to eventually be the type of treatment that someone would receive with, with regard to their microbiome. So um you can, of course, buy a bunch of probiotics and take them. The, the data on them is, let's say, mixed. I don't want to say that as a blanket statement for all types of treatments. But in the context of cancer, one of the things that seems to be important is the diversity of the microbiome. And there's been some really interesting work showing that people who take a lot of probiotics uh, affect their diversity in a way that might not be beneficial. So, and, and this sort of is intuitive in the sense that if you give yourself a lot of one organism, you probably won't have a ton of different organisms. You have more of that one. And so in the context of like recovery from antibiotics, it's been shown that a high dose of probiotics delays your recovery from 
antibiotics and stuff like that. So, so we're a little worried about it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, at the end of the day, you know, what we wind up doing is something like, uh, let's say you get a new cancer diagnosis at the James, we, we measure your microbiome, we find out it is not quite right to respond to immunotherapy. Maybe that involves first taking a dose of antibiotics, using a fecal transplant to get a high level of diversity back, and then supplementing with a dietary intervention, like the Be Wells trial is trying to use, and the probiotic. So you seed that organism, you give it the right molecules to make sure it grows with your dietary intervention, and then you sort of maintain with a uh, particular dietary prescription in a sense. And that combination of things should be fast, should hopefully be stable in the long term, and should get us to the right microbiome state to make somebody really have the best chance of responding to this uh, cancer treatment. Okay, that was perfect. And if I'm understanding you correctly, we're sort of, you and other experts in this area are sort of now where the immunotherapy experts were, I don't even know, 20 years ago, and that the research and the benefits and and the knowledge are going to just explode over the next five, 10 years and that down the road, all those things you just said, that sort of multiple layered approach is going to become more and more common and hopefully, knock on wood, will really help the growing immunotherapy options be even more effective. So look in yeah. your crystal ball and what do you see? <laughs> yeah, so I definitely see that the microbiome as a measurement will start to enter clinical practice in a wide variety of contexts, but cancer in particular, where uh, a, we, it's just something to, something to check in addition to uh, your usual routine scans. And, and it has a lot of promise with that. I mean, there's, a, there's still this sort of ick factor that's associated with the microbiome, which is something that we're, as a side point, just really trying to change because uh, it seems like the microbiome has all of these wonderful roles in being able to predict different aspects of your cancer treatment, but also uh, other parts of your health. And in reality, it's a really non-invasive way to test things like this. So instead of having to go and have your blood drawn and get poked with a needle, hopefully someday you'll just have, be checking your poop. And then you can measure all of those same types of things as a, as a sort of readout just by changing, looking at how, your, how those bacteria and whatever other things are changing. And so, so there's definitely an aspect of it that I think is going to be in terms of a biomarker or a sort of general clinical test. And, and that, I think, is going to not just be important for cancer, but I think it's going to be important for a wide variety of different disease states. So you're saying then, that, are you saying that yeah. in the future, like I just had my yearly physical and I had to get blood drawn in the future when I have my yearly physical, either instead of, or in addition to a blood draw, I'll have to give a fecal sample and they'll analyze that and tell me and be able to monitor some of my good and bad health signs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, you had to go have your blood drawn by someone who's a trained phlebotomist. You already know how to poop. And so you could imagine measuring that every day at home or Oh, you can do you know, it at home with like a, a, you, you, a, a test kit of some sort? 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, the way we do most of our clinical trials now is by sending these kits home oh, with patients. Okay. They they collect a little bit of the stool that goes into this little bunch of liquid that preserves the DNA right in the state it was at, right when the, when the sample was was collected. And then they ship it to us, and then we we measure okay. what's going on. And uh, and I think you know that. Um, I mean it. That's, of course, measure, sending it to a lab. You can imagine it even being easier and you just have a little plug-in for your smartphone or something like that <laughs> someday. Yeah, that, but, that, that's know, the ick ich factor you're talking about, that people need to get beyond that and realize that this is something that can be a good determinant of good health. It's like uh, we have cats. I scooped the cat litter at first. You know, That's a little icky. I'm so used to it. It's no big deal. Yeah, no, I feel <laughs> the same way. I, I, I mean, I've got a big dog and couple of kids so there's <laughs> yeah, a whole lot of my life revolves around poop but um uh yeah i i think especially when we start to think of the gut bacteria as something that really can help us it's not something that's just gross um then uh, hopefully hopefully sentiments around that will start to change and i really think there's a lot of power in this sort of non-invasive routine testing once we start to figure these things out uh, one of the reasons why we're really excited about using diet to modify the microbiome is because it's something that patients can control. In the context of a cancer treatment that is this hugely disempowering uh, life event, it's something that you know patients can every day do to help their microbiome be in the right state, to help themselves have the best chance of responding. And, you know, it's not just the patients themselves, it's their caregivers. And we think it's the way that uh, people can really take an active role in, the, uh, in the, the process of their treatment. So in the Be Well program, you're giving people black raspberry syrup. Should I be going out and buying black raspberries in bulk and creating my own syrup to make myself healthier? Uh, I'd, I'd say it's a little early for that. One of the things that we really want to understand better is when it's important to have these organisms around. So there's, there's reason to believe that you don't really want your immune system sort of ramped up to the level of responding to cancer treatment at all times. So in the context of immunotherapy, people are receiving these drugs. It really, really ramps up their immune system. So it can do this better job of identifying these cancer cells that are very close to your normal cells, but, but subtly different. And that has a bunch of knock-on effects, like people have these uh, treatment-related toxicities where they have some autoimmune type disorders because the immune system is so close to this fine line between self and not self that it's targeting self a little bit more. And what we're trying to do with the microbiome, we think, is to really push that to its limit, to push the immune system right to the edge of being able to identify cancer versus non-cancer. But you could imagine that being a pretty dangerous state to be in long term. Instead, you might want to think of it like high intensity interval training or something like that, where you, uh, the, the best way to do it is to pulse these effects where 
You want your microbiome to be in the right state, but you have to keep it there for a short amount of time and then sort of back away, or you have some sort of you know, recurrent effects like autoimmune diseases or something like that. So, so I, I, I recommend caution because I think this is still so new. And so, it, it, I mean, it's very exciting, but I, I wouldn't want people to get heavily invested in a particular treatment before we have more yeah, it's like you don't want your engine running at the highest RPM all the time because eventually it'll it'll burn out, and it's the same thing yeah. perhaps with your body. Yeah, I, I like that analogy. I think I think that's right on, and it might be that actually that's okay. You do want it there, but I, I there's reason there's reason to be cautious, and so I I uh, I don't think you should necessarily start the uh high dose black raspberries every day quite yet but <laughs> I, I might be wrong i mean maybe we'll find out you should who knows but in the meantime we should all eat a wide wide variety of fruits and vegetables <laughs> yeah so so that's i think that's important to to comment on and one of the things that keeps showing up in a variety of different studies not just cancer is that the diversity of your microbiome seems to be important and it's associated with health and the way you can do that is by giving a diverse set of, uh, especially, you know, plant uh, plant materials, these microbial associated carbohydrates, a, a diverse set of those to uh, your gut, so that a bunch of different types of organisms grow. And so, yeah, a diverse diet, a lot of different fruits and vegetables, seems like it's a general idea for <laughs> for health of your gut, and uh, that's really consistent with what we've seen with other studies of nutrition. So it could just be that, you know, part of the reason why that diet has consistently showed up as being really healthy is because it's helping to make a healthy gut microbiome. Oh, we didn't even know one of the reasons that a healthy plant-based diet was so effective. And now we're learning one more reason. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, Dan, thank you for sharing this really fascinating and, and it sounds like promising research and filling us in on what you're doing. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the interest. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.